Lord, um, I need this. I need this, what we're talking about this morning in my life. Lord, um, we need this. So, uh, Lord, would you, would you show up? Would you, I, I thank you that you're here. So I, I, you know, I say show up, but Lord, would you be so evident that you are the one that, that is speaking through your word? And would you speak to our hearts, mine included, Lord, and, and let us see you and, and let us want to change and give us the courage to do so. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You were listening. Okay. So it's our final finding joy. We've been walking through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and, and that's where we're going to uh, wrap it up this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your app, if you have your worksheet, uh, if you want to follow along on the screens, uh, you can do that. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. You ready? Here we go. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Whenever you come across in Scripture, this pleases God or pleasing to God, underline it, star it. You know that expression, if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy, right? Well, when God is happy, everybody's happy, right? So, so you want to look at that, you want to hear it, you want to remember it, you want to do it. That's acceptable and pleasing to God. And, and this is a life-changing promise. Here it is. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever and all. God's people said, Amen! Oh, that's a good one. You are a generous investor. Wait, what? You are. You are a generous investor. In fact, we all are. We all are. In someone or something, we invest, we, 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 we pour our time, our energy, our talents, our, our money, our desires, our, our, our yearnings, right? Our focus into someone or something. We invest it into those things or people that we think we will get, we believe we'll get the highest return on investment. We all do that. We all do that. That's the true meaning of spending your life. You're actually investing your life into someone or something. So the question becomes for you and for me, who or what are you investing in your life in 
that you believe will give you the greatest possible return. And here's what's at stake. If you make the right choice, if I make the right choice of what to invest in, then at the end, I will have far more than I ever imagined. But if you and I make the wrong choice, then at the end, we will lose even that which we thought we had. Jesus' words, not mine. He said this, For to the one who has, more will be given, and to he or she will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he or she has will be taken away. So there's a lot at stake. And Paul, in verse 15, he thanks and he commends the Philippian church because they have decided that they are going to be fully invested in Jesus and the gospel, right? Investing themselves as partners in the gospel. That's what, that's what he says. And because of their faith, because of their commitment, they were so transformed by their experience of Jesus um, and the gospel that although they themselves were poor, they invested their, their lives, their money, their focus, their passion fully into Jesus and the gospel. And, and in seeing, they wanted the gospel to advance, even though they were themselves needy. And we think of this as exceptional, but that was always Jesus' plan. Followers of Jesus are to be fully invested, fully invested invested in the gospel. What do you want, Tom? You want me to quit my job and become a full-time missionary? No, unless that's what God's calling you to. I will confess to you that is exactly what I'm, what I'm praying about right now. Not, not quitting this one, okay? Like, how, where does he want me? But do what you do for him for the gospel. You do that, right? We've talked many times that the why you do is more important than the what that you do, right? And do all that you do for the glory of God, for the blessing of people. That's what we talked about in the past. So what is the gospel if I'm going to be fully invested in it? It's who God is, who you and I are, in being separated from him, and how you and I, only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, can have our relationship with God completely and fully healed, now and forever, regardless of what a train wreck we've made of our lives. That is the good news. The gospel is the beautiful truth that brought you from death to life, from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from being an enemy of God, whether we would think of ourselves that way, to being a precious and beloved son or daughter of his now and forever. That is the gospel. And if that doesn't describe you, then, then you can fully surrender to Jesus today. And it will. It will because of what he's done for you. So, so we are to be fully invested in that, in the gospel. Yet, yet here's the trap. Here's the, here's the trap laid out before us. That you and I, and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching myself, 
we are so prone to invest extraordinary amounts of time, energy, money, focus, dreams, and effort into good things that are utterly worthless by comparison to Jesus and the gospel. Utterly worthless. Jesus saved you and me to invest our life in the best thing. Loving him, loving people, and loving people to him just the same way that he loved you and me to himself. That's what we're called to do, to be fully surrendered. And so, so this is the heart cry of those who are fully invested in the gospel. I want you, I want you to say it out loud with me, okay? Just say these words there. Take all that I am and all that I have for all that you are so that all may know you. Okay, if, if it hurt your mouth to say those words, then, then stick with us. This is for you, okay? Just ask yourself, is this the heart cry of your life? And if it's, if it's not, then let you and me please not leave this place today. Not this room. Don't leave it without pleading with God to make this true of me. To, to make this true. Take all that I am and all that I have for all that you are so that all may know. So he wants you to be the best investor. And that is what we're, we're called to be. Jesus said this, so there, this, this one just brought me up short. Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has, who is not fully in all in invested in me, invested in the gospel, can not be my disciple. This joyful renouncing of everything because we found the one thing that is worth trading everything, right? This joyful sacrifice does not make us super Christians. It makes us Christians. Are you, get, are you getting that? Um, in America, we just don't have a file to put that in. Because any faith, any belief is like so so much better and so much than, than people who dismiss God. And, and, and yet, and yet there are parts of the world that get this. They say, say, say and, and, and Scripture gets this. It says, look, I'm not asking you to continue with the life you had and now I'm going to help you get it. I'm not continuing, I'm not asking you to continue to have the same goals and desires of, of all your peers who don't believe in me, but now you have the advantage of me to help you get it. No, no, no. no. I'm calling you to trade it all for me and for what I have because of what I've done for you and who I am. And, and, and look, um, before we go any further, some of you may cuss me out in the parking lot uh, later. Oh, you might. Um, just know... A, I love you, and B, this is crushing me in the best ways, personally, okay? So uh, I'm wrestling with this 
Two, all that Jesus has done for us. He gave his all for us. His all deserves and demands our all. Our all. Uh, and that is of lasting value. That is of lasting value. Look, this is the best investment advice you will ever get from the Word of God. If you trade everything in your life and hold it loosely, right, for Jesus Christ, you lose nothing of lasting value. You gain everything of eternal value. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, uh, the person who shoots at heaven gets earth thrown in. The person who shoots at earth loses both. That is the truth. And Jesus tells it to us. So um, this is the greatest investment advice. So we're going to look at it. We're going to analyze it as we would any other investment. So we're going to kick the tires, ask some questions. What is the ROI? What is the return on investment? It is huge. Huge. The power of God, the gospel, the, the salvation of God goes out more strongly. More people come to know who Jesus is and how dearly loved they are by him. More people come to Jesus to get set free from sin, despair, addictions, hopelessness, and find life that is actually truly life rather than the, the, the facade of or fake life that we try to make without him, right? And, and ultimately, heaven gets more populated with the people that God loves passionately, right? And, and in the meantime, you and I get to collectively enjoy living together in the kingdom of God and inviting all our friends and all our community and all our university into the kingdom of God with us. That is more valuable. That is more precious than any bank account, than any IRA, than any 401k. And it will leave you and bring you more joy than anything else. So that's the return on investment. Next question. What, what, what's the upside potential? What about upward mobility? That seems to be important to people. I want, I want to move forward in life. I want to move upward. And the Philippian church was all about upward mobility. They wanted upward mobility, just not the way the world defines upward, right? They were not going to settle for the world's definition of upward, a bigger, nicer house with an open concept, eating and living thing. Don't you agree, right? Like, it's a smart thing. I can talk to my fridge and it feeds me and blah, 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 whatever you got. Not a cooler car, not a longer, nicer vacation, not another house on the coast and another one here and another one there. That's not what they were about more creature comforts, better lifestyle. They wanted true upward mobility, farther upward. They wanted it heavenly, right? That kind of mobility and a kind of mobility that calls and brings everybody else up with us. That's the kind of upward mobility they were part of. They wanted to be heavenly. The ROI and true upward mobility is there. And this requires you and I to choose between treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. What's more important to us? That answer tells us where our heart is. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. He says, for where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And the convicting thing for me is the harder this is for you to hear and need means that it's an issue. It's an issue. And, and I'm wrestling with this, right? If, if, if Jesus is your true treasure now, you will live and love and give like it. If this world is your treasure now, you will live and love and give like it. How, how you and I live and love and give is probably one of the best indications of where our heart is. I knew it. I knew it. Church only wants my money. Here's, here's the irony. Like my full-time job is a fundraiser. Uh, I'm the uh, executive director of the Western Foundation. Like I'm evaluated on how much comes in, how much people give. And yet, I hate talking about money in church. Why is that? Because people think that that's what the church wants. Let me tell you, this is not true. I don't want any of your money. I got a problem that I got too much of my own, and I'm convicted about what to do with it. Are you, are you hearing me? Okay. I don't want it. That's more problems for but I don't want you to have that problem either, right? I don't, God just wants our hearts, right? And with it, everything, right? He's not going to strip you bare and strip you poor. We're going to take a look at that. But, but here's what he's saying. Uh, Paul was dealing with this with the Philippian church too. Verse 17, he says, look, look, I, I'm not trying to fleece you. I'm not trying to pick your, I, I'm not seeking the gift. I don't want your money. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, not your credit card, right? He's saying, I want the best for you. I want the best for you. I want your account overflowing. Whoa, 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 wait, I have an account? Yes, you do. A bank account? Well, kind of. The only bank account that you do have, the only brokerage account that you do have that is going to last forever. And, and what he's saying is, I want what's best for you. I want you to have that account overflowing with fruit, which is not loot, right? It's, it may include that, but it's, don't, don't mistake the two, right? And here's what Jesus says. It's very, it's very consistent. Jesus said this, look, sell your possessions. They're, they're, they're imprisoning you. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Let me give you a wallet. Let me give you a purse or a handbag that you will carry throughout eternity. With, and I'll have treasure in the heavens that does not fail, right? It will always hold its value. That you've sent on ahead for eternity where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. You don't have to worry about a market downturn. Everybody's buzzing about it before the election, after the election, or stocks going to tank, is the economy going to... You don't have to worry. It's always a bull market in heaven, right? And you don't have to worry about cybersecurity. Nothing, nothing. Look, let's be honest. 
if, if I could accurately predict what stocks and markets would perform the most strongly in the coming year, if I could do that on Sunday mornings, people would be beating the doors down. We would not have enough chairs. But, but when God tells us with 100% certainty what the best investment is for now and eternity, we're like, meh, did it snow last night in Crested Butte? Like, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. And Jesus assures you that you do have treasure in heaven. How much is dependent on what we send on ahead? Here's the reality. Some believers are very wealthy for 80 or 90 years and will be relatively poor for the rest of eternity. Other believers are relatively modest or poor for 80 or 90 years and will be extraordinarily wealthy for all eternity. And, and there's, there's blends of that, right? How that affects you. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when you and I will say, Ugh, I wish I had followed that advice from God. How beautiful that you and I are confronted by God with this reality now when we still have the ability to do something about it, right? So, so this is for your good. It's for your benefit. It's for my benefit. So we'll have treasure that lasts. But, but what about my needs? What about the needs of my family? Great question. Great question. Hold on to that. I'm glad you asked it because God has you covered. He's concerned about that too. He's got the answer. If you're willing to go all in, if you're willing to surrender completely, invest in him and invest in the gospel, God's got you covered. This is verse 19. I want you to read it out loud with me. Here we go. And, are, we, are you with me? Okay, they're mostly monosyllabic, okay, here. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is what about me and my needs and the needs of my family. That is your safety net. God is going to meet your every need. God is so great, so good. He says, partner with me, partner with me, invest fully in me, surrender fully to me. In Jesus, in the gospel, invest and I will cover your risks here on earth. This absolutely works. This, and given how faithful God has been in my life, I should not be struggling with this. But I confess to you that I am. And if you are, you're in the right place. Because we got a God of grace who says, look, I'm just calling you into more life. I'm only calling you into more freedom. I'm only calling you into more of myself. I'm only calling you into more joy. And the letting go, as difficult as that is, should tell you, that you're clinging to something other than me. That's what I'm dealing with. This is your security. This is your security. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what your net worth is. It doesn't matter what your salary is. 
It doesn't matter what your bank accounts are. Because if you're relatively poor, the, the trap is that I'm going to say, if I had a lot of money, if I had a little bit more, that would be my security, then I'd be financially secure, right? If you have a lot, God bless you, right? God, God, God does that, right? But here's the temptation, that you cling to this, and you say, huh, I can rest easy because this is my security. No, it's not. This is your security. My God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is our security. So he asks, do you have anxiety and worry about your needs being met? You might. You might. This promise is for you. But let me tell you what happens. Regardless of where you are on that spectrum, if you have anxiety about your needs being met, then you tend to cling to what you have. Like you grasp onto it, right? Because that's your security. And so we live with a closed hand because we don't truly believe. We don't truly believe that we have a God who is going to meet all our needs as we're faithful, as we're surrendered to him. We don't believe that. And that makes sense because it's consistent at least. But here's the truth. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Are you bold enough to say, that's true? That's either true or it's false. But if it's true, and I, I would stake my life on the fact that it is, then regardless of how much you have or don't have, you can live with an open hand. Right? Whatever you need, God, whatever people need, I'm going I'm to invest in your gospel. I'm going to pour out into people. I'm going to I'm going to live with an open hand because that's how you love me, with an open hand. And you could do that with complete comfort and security. Why can you do that? Because you know that your ability to meet your needs, to meet your family needs, is not limited or determined by what's in your bank account or brokerage account. It's only limited by what's in his. And guess what? It's everything. And he's saying, he's saying, do you get this? You surrender fully to me. And I'm going to take care of the things that you worry most about. Doesn't that sound a lot like seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you as well. My, 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 my friends, um, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. Notice what this doesn't say. This doesn't say you're never going to experience need. And we get that wrong. Of course you are. You're going to experience need. And God is going to meet it. And in that time, between when you feel the need and when God meets it, as you trust in Him, as you rest in Him, as you thank Him in advance, you will be content. Why is that? Because you have Jesus, and Jesus is everything. If you want to know the secret of being content, get the podcast from last week. That's what we're talking about. But, but, but here's, here's the thing. He's going to allow you to have need. Why would a God who loves you um, allow you to experience need? Because he loves you. Be because he loves me, you and me. Track with me here. Track with me. Were it not for the need in your life, if you're honest, right? 
If it were it not for the need in my life, we might completely forget about and ignore God, right? If, if, if you doubt it, if you doubt it, I would like you to think about the greatest blessings in your life, your, uh, your money, your job, your kids, your house, your relationships, your health, your talents. These are all good things, but are these not also the very things that have made you too busy for God? I rest my case. God allows us to experience need because without it, our hearts are prone to forget Him. That's, that's the stuff I'm made of. That's the stuff you're made of. But He meets your needs. He will meet your needs. Look, if you need another explanation, 9-11, right? Life going on, that happens, everything changes, right? We're all in church. We're all loving each other. We're all saying what's important. We're you know, getting rid of the junk. And, 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 then, and then we go back to normal life. Don't need a 9-11 in your life to get focused. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for the world. I don't want that for the country. That's the nature of us. He blesses us and we forget him. So in this time, some of you are going through a little mini 9-11 in your own life now. My heart is towards you. But if you're not, then make the heart change that that, that that pain brings without the pain. So much better. So much better. Here's what... Okay, so when I prepare a message... It's, it's, not, um, it's not me sitting down with the Scripture and saying, what do other people need, right? It, it, it's what, what is God doing, right? And sometimes, sometimes that just beats me up, beats me up. And, and, and yet I, I have to kind of say it anyway because you want to be faithful to... At the same time, I'm wrestling with it. I invite you to struggle and wrestle with me. So here's, here's, what, uh, here's what I'm struggling with. Your joy, my joy in 2020, in our entire lives, will be equal to your surrender to Jesus. Why not make them both complete? So the question to me, the question to you is, are you willing to surrender completely to him? So, so that follows, in what areas, God, have I held back from complete surrender? Please tell me. Please show me. And, and why do I do that, holding back any surrender from a Savior who held absolutely nothing back from me makes absolutely no sense. Makes no sense. And yet I do. And the reality of this, I will only know that God meets my every need when he becomes my greatest need. And I use everything he's given me to meet the greatest needs of others. So this is a, a call to repentance for me and to you, a, a call for heart change. And here's what I confess and, and repent of and invite you to do too, if, if this applies. For incomplete 
partial and superficial surrender to Jesus. For investing my life, for investing our lives in our lives. For not investing our lives to, to bless the poor and suffering. To glorify Jesus and advance the gospel for the salvation and flourishing of all people. And for living with closed hands because we did not trust God would meet our every need. That's where I am. And if that's where you are, I encourage you to come to the God of mercy who says, I only diagnose that which I desire to heal. I'm not looking for a reason to kick you out. I'm not looking for a reason to rob you of joy or sufficiency. I'm just asking you to attach it to me fully until you and I can say, take all that I am and all that I have for all that you are so that all may know. There is coming a day when you and I will long to be able to say that, that we had said that. How beautiful of God to say, come here, come here, family conference. Do it now while you have time. This isn't a salvation question. If you belong to Jesus Christ, whether you're faithful or not, he's faithful. This is being and living the way. He's called you to be and live, to let him live loud through you. If you can't say that honestly now, it's okay. Plead with God as I will to make this true in your heart, in your mind. The first Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is, um, this is a love meal that, that we have the, the privilege of, of partaking in. I want to talk about, for just a second, what happened right after Jesus celebrated this? In the night that he was betrayed, you, you probably know that he went and prayed for a long time to his father. And he was in such anxiety. And he said, Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass me by without drinking it, please make it so. But your will be done. And he, he sweat as of great drops of blood, he is as stressed as stress could be. And, and it's easy for us to think that what he's anxious about is the scourging and the crown of thorns and, and, the, and the mockery and the beatings and, and the nails in his hands and his feet and the hours he would spend and the physical torture of the cross. That would be understandable, but that is not what, what, what he was praying about. The, the great torture is Jesus was about to experience the full wrath of God that, that you and I deserve. 
in our place. Another pastor put it this way. He said, it's as if you and I are standing 100 yards away from a dam that is 10,000 feet wide and 10,000 feet tall with water up to the brim. You can see it spilling over. When all of a sudden you hear it start to crack and crumble and it, and it just disintegrates all at once and this huge, indescribable wall of water is rushing toward you. That is the wrath of God. Until, right before it reaches you, the earth opens up and swallows all of that water. And you are standing there safe. Because Jesus, in the cup that he, he drank, Every drop of wrath of God that is righteous that we deserved. He drank it to the bottom and he turned the empty cup over and he said, it is finished. And you are free. That's full surrender. Bring the lights down. And speaking of that, that night, he had a meal with his friends. And he took bread, and he thanked his Father in heaven. He broke it, he gave it to his friends, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Take it. Eat it. When you do, I want you to remember how much I love you. When supper ended, he took the cup again. He thanked God, his Father. He gave the cup to his disciples. He says, This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It is shed for you and for all, so that sin may be forgiven. Take this, drink this. Because he was drinking the cup that we could not drink. This meal is for you. 